You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Monday. That means it's time for Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. Hi, everybody. I'm Steve. I'm your host each week as we look at the political machinery here in the U.S., and uh, we've got an interesting collection of stories to go through today, so let's get right to it. Starting off, as always, with our update on the coronavirus. Uh, we continue to make progress in the battle against the corona pandemic here in the U.S., uh, although we still uh, are seeing a slight increase in cases. We're up to 33.5 million cases of COVID reported. And we are over 600,000 at 601.8 thousand people who have died from the disease uh, since its outbreak last year. And on the positive side, more than 550, I'm sorry, more than 315 uh, million doses of vaccine have been administered. Uh, and that includes people who have just gotten one dose or have gotten both doses of the two-dose varieties and have gotten a single shot of the one-dose variety. So, uh, as I mentioned last week, we are waiting for an outcome on the uh, emergency use authorization for a fourth vaccine, uh, which has been applied for. And uh, while that hasn't come out yet, we will keep an eye out for it and let you know when it does hit the market which should increase the percentages of people who get vaccinated. Uh, it goes without saying that, you know, one of the best ways for us to move this uh, pandemic uh, to the manageable state is for as many people as possible to become vaccinated. Uh, right now, more than half the American population, the adult American population, has received a vaccine. Uh, it is now being uh, administered to uh, young people above the age of 12, and the research continues uh, to uh, children younger than 12 for them to get the vaccine as well. Uh, it, it's not without its controversy. There are some people who uh, still remain uh, firmly in the anti-vaxxer category, uh, but as school season comes back around now that we're moving into summer vacation, it will remain to be seen uh, how many uh, children get vaccinated uh, as a requirement to enter school in the fall. So we'll keep you posted on that. In other news in the coronavirus realm, uh, another variant called the Delta variant which has been raging across uh, England and the UK and, and the EU, uh, now also is in more than uh, 80 communities around uh, our country here. Uh, it is uh, a, a new variant that, according to medical and scientific authorities, is uh, more uh, easily transmittable uh, and, you know, poses a a concern about a resurgence of COVID. However, the other news in that segment is that the vaccines that are currently on, on the market and being used are effective against this Delta variant, but it remains to be seen whether uh, this variant or others that may crop up will require some type of booster shot for uh, the the vaccinated population going forward. 
but the uh, the CDC is reporting this variant, which was first detected in India in October. Um, it, it's been upgraded from a variant of interest to a variant of concern. Uh, right now, it's they're estimating that 10% of the new cases in the U.S. are of this new variant. Uh, Missouri is reporting the highest percentage of the variant at 6.8%, and that's as of May 22nd, uh, the latest date for which CDC data is available. Um, you know, and it, they're reporting that, you know, what, you know, and, and this is a quote from Kendra Findlay, uh, the Administrator of Community Health and Epidemiology with Greene County, Missouri, uh, was quoted as saying, it shows us what we've got in the community is a much more infectious variant than we are having to deal with, which shows why we have such an explosion in cases, not just in Greene County, but in southwest Missouri. Um, you know, and they're saying Missouri is now leading the nation in with the most new COVID cases per 100,000 residents uh, over the last seven days, according to uh, the New York Times tracker. So, you know, it, it continues that COVID is uh, still uh, a factor we have to deal with. Uh, it is important, therefore, for as many people as possible, as I said, uh, to get vaccinated uh, and to continue to practice. If, if you're not yet vaccinated, continue to practice the masking, the social distancing, the, the hand cleanliness and so forth that you know we've been reporting out for you know the 16 17 months uh, that this pandemic has been raging in the united states uh, it, it's clear that you know vaccination is among the best way uh, to protect yourself your family your community and and so forth um, but you know we also know that those people who have been infected by the the uh, virus and have come through it are also you know, contributing to the overall group immunity that we're seeing here in this country. So we'll continue to keep an eye on it for you. Uh, we'll keep bringing the statistics and keep bringing the news regarding uh, COVID-19 coronavirus uh, right here on Fired Up. So stay tuned for that as well as everything else we're, we're talking about and make sure that you, know, you, you take appropriate action. All right, so moving along to other news in the political realm, an article in Salon.com uh, was citing a uh, statement or a comment made by MSNBC uh, host Rachel Maddow on her Friday uh, show where she was asking the, the question and, and reporting on a, a tactic that uh, the Democrats could use uh, in order to uh, give them you know, more control, more power uh, in the Senate. And the article cites uh, the suggestion that, that Maddow brought up that the Democrats should employ a simple maneuver to make greater use of their, their slim Senate majority before a closely contested uh, midterm that's expected uh, by most uh, people out there to result in a switch of power in at least the Senate and possibly the House as well. Um, and basically, her suggestion was to uh, take a page from the Republican playbook and basically uh, eliminate or severely shorten the August month-long break that the, the Senate and the House uh, normally take each year 
and you know it it is um you know something that the democrats could use the time to you know advance more uh positions to do more work on the bills they're trying to get passed uh to you know get you know some additional judges appointed at the federal level and you know primarily so you know they can you know catch up on what they need to do um you know as she quoted uh basically is that they meaning the senate doesn't work in august uh what what are they <laughs> what are they french um you know she says the senate's official web official website says the reason they take all of august off is in part uh so senators can catch up on their summer reading uh, for this noble reason, she states, they take off all of August every year. It's on the calendar uh, this way. And, you know, they take, you know, all this time off. And, you know, basically it, it's dead time in terms of progressing legislation and moving the people's business uh, through the government system. So, you know, and and. You know, she cites also that when Republicans were in control of the Senate, uh, they were canceling the August recess. They shortened it. Uh, they took a single week off instead of the whole month. They did it because they could, because Mitch McConnell and the Republicans had the majority. They wanted to use it to do stuff, even if their summer reading lists weren't going to be uh, were going to be neglected, rather. They didn't actually have legislation they were working on at the time. They just wanted to confirm more judge appointments uh, 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 from the Republican administration. But, you know, that's what they used, the, t the extra time that they recaptured. And she asked, quite frankly, why don't the Democrats do that this year? They would give themselves more power and more options by giving themselves more time at work to do stuff while they were... Uh, while they were this this precious majority uh, that history says they are likely to lose and conceivably could lose before the next election. So, you know, Rachel Maddow, you know, uh, well-respected, one of one of, if not the uh, most watched um, news and, and opinion show host, uh, you know, on MSNBC, uh, has a, a, a really great suggestion here, in my opinion. Um, you know, the, the idea is, you know, essentially as that old saying says, you make hay while the sun shines. So while the Democrats have this, this tenuous majority in the Senate and, you know, consider even a narrow, uh, I believe it's eight seat majority in the House, they really need to maximize their time and their effort to get as much of their agenda accomplished as possible. Uh, you know, it would it would show the American people that they are serious about getting, you know, their work done to the benefit of, you know, the average American. It would show that, you know, the the Republicans, to some extent, are not exclusively in control of the agenda through, you know, through whatever uh, political means that they have at their disposal as the minority party. Uh, and, you know, basically it would just be a good move. You know, most of us, you know, who who are, are in the workforce uh, would look at the the legislative calendar and the schedule that lawmakers keep and go, how do they get anything done legislatively if they're only in office, you know, a fraction of the time? 
I, I don't have the exact exact number of, of days that the Senate and the House are in session, but I know for a fact it is you know significantly less than the you know 280 something days that most of us work uh, you know in a regular work year. Um, you know now granted to be fair, when members of, of Congress and members of the Senate are not in Washington, they are quote, in their home offices handling, you know, the, the business of their state, you know, meeting with constituents, meeting with groups, uh, you know, so on and so forth, end quote. Now, you know, do I, do I think they are spending 100% of their out-of-Washington time, you know, doing that kind of work? Not really, you know. Um, it, it's also the time when you see reports that they go on, you know, trips, uh, supposedly for research, etc. You know, there are a lot of other things that go on besides legislative business that is handled while our members are at home, you know, working out of their offices. Now, I'm not saying that they're, they're goofing off, but, you know, it, it's clear and it, it's been shown that, you know, they're, they're not, you know, anywhere near 100% dedicated to their, their Senate or congressional business while they are away from Washington. So just something to keep in mind. Um, however, do keep in mind that when they are not in Washington is the prime time for constituents to, you know, have the opportunity to meet with their elected officials, whether it's through town hall meetings, whether it's through appointments arranged uh, through their respective staffs, uh, either way, but it is a, a prime time for us to get our message to our national elected uh, leaders uh, and, and make sure that they hear it straight from us. So just something to keep in mind. Take a look at their website, uh, look at their calendar, see when they're going to be in their office and reach out to their staffs to see if it's possible to set up a meeting uh, for, for you or for a group to get together with your senator or with your congressman to discuss the issues uh, in your district or in your state that are important to you. It's one of the, the calls to action we frequently have here on Fired Up, and you know it, it is something that we need to take better advantage of to make sure that we're communicating our wants and wishes to our elected officials. All right, changing gears a little bit. So this past Thursday, uh, President Biden signed uh, the bill making Juneteenth, uh, the 19th of June, a federal holiday. And the first celebrations of which occurred uh, this past Friday. So, you know, there, there's been some, some pushback, as you would expect. Uh, certain corners of the, uh, the conservative right um, have made complaints, among other things, saying that uh, celebrating Juneteenth, uh, you know, two something weeks before the 4th of July diminishes the importance of Independence Day. And, you know, and, and similar, similar concerns and criticisms as you might expect. Um, let me just address the, that first one because I think it, it is one that I've heard a, a couple of outlets reporting and, um, you know, one, uh, it, it, it's actually nonsense. Um, the, the two holidays are not uh, in com competition with each other. They are actually complementary 
to each other. Uh, of course, you know, the 4th of July uh, we celebrate as the day that uh, this, this country declared its independence from, you know, being a colony of England. And, you know, with, with much uh, fanfare and ballyhoo, the, the Declaration of Independence uh, talked about, you know, the, the promises made to the citizens of the newly formed country and, and so forth. And, you know, in the Constitution, which followed, uh, also outlined and, and provided a guide as to, you know, the level of fairness that the citizens of this, this new country uh, should be entitled to. Um, you know, Juneteenth, in, in my opinion, and from what others have said, uh, really represents kind of the, the, the cherry on top of that milkshake uh, because it is a recognition uh, of the, the effort put forward to finally fulfill uh, the promises outlined in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution uh, through the process of freeing the enslaved people that had been held uh, by the, the United States uh, and you know, making making them you know full full fledged citizens with a caveat um, that you know could participate in the democracy of America. Now the actual date is the date that the the U.S. Army finally reached the the westernmost portion of the country at that time, which was Galveston, Texas. And, you know, gave them the news that those people who were enslaved were now free. Uh, that is the, the, the reason behind the Juneteenth celebration. Uh, the recognition of it is long overdue, as, as you might imagine. And it is with no small bit of irony that it is the latest federal holiday to be added to the calendar in something like, uh, uh, I want to say, 40 years or 30 years, with uh, the last one being added being the celebration of the Martin Luther King birthday, uh, Martin Luther King Day. So, you know, it, it, although, you know, as we talked about in last week's episode when we talked about critical race theory, although there are still issues of um, you know, racial intolerance and, and other forms of discrimination in this country, uh, as, as we talk about on this show all the time. Um, you know, Juneteenth represents another uh, baby step forward, but a step forward nonetheless as this country comes to terms with, you know, what has been described as the, the moral stain on America. Uh, i.e., you know, uh, slavery of African uh, peoples and uh, the the legacy of that. So, you know, it, it it's you know with a, a sense of pride that you know I say Happy Juneteenth, uh, belatedly, but Happy Juneteenth nonetheless. And of course, I would be remiss if we didn't uh, recognize that yesterday was Father's Day. So to all the fathers out there, um, to, you know, wishing you the very best uh, of Father's Day. I hope it was very enjoyable. I hope you received, you know, the accolades and the care and pampering and spoiling that you, that, that we are entitled to. Um, I had the special uh, pleasure this past week 
of finally being able to to sit down with my father uh, in person rather than via uh, Skype or Zoom or on, on a phone looking at him through a window as I was finally able to go visit him in person uh, at the, the nursing care facility where he lives. So this, that was a great, great feeling. I was so happy to be able to, to give him a hug and to sit and talk with him. And it was just a great, great time. So, you know, for all the fathers out there, the stepdads out there, uh, the adopted dads out there, and the, the, the mama dads out there, you, you single mothers who do both duties, uh, wishing you a belated Happy Father's Day and hope everything uh, turned out well for you as well. All right, so turning back to politics for a couple more minutes. Um, it, it, it's strange to see just how dysfunctional both parties, uh, particularly in the Senate, both parties are uh, right now as uh, the, the Democrats uh, seem to have a fractured house and the Republicans um, you know, are so deeply into their obstructionist thinking and, and all of the, the Trumpist thoughts and processes and ideals that uh, are coming out. Um, that you know we're in the situation where things that are important that we need to get done are not getting done and it continues to be an ongoing frustration uh, I, I'd say for the American people um, we expect our elected officials to to get their jobs done and when we're seeing that they are you know so deeply entrenched in this this bipartisan bickering or this partisan bickering rather uh, where they can't come together on you know, needed and necessary legislation that we need uh, in this country to help us uh, return from the, the, the devastation that the pandemic has caused for both economically and in terms of infrastructure. Um, you know, it, it's clear that there is a level of frustration uh, among the electorate in this country that is... Uh, is palpable. You can feel it. Uh, you know, if it's Republicans, you know, they are are uh, concerned that you know they they have the positions they want to have. Uh, that you know they are a significant portion of them. Uh, I think probably still you know twenty percent, twenty five percent. Uh, still hold on to the notion that the election was uh, illegitimate or stolen or, you know, in, in, in other ways invalid. Uh, and, you know, they, they want to see that rectified. Um, you have this denial going on, uh, again, on the Republican side of what happened on January 6th. Uh, even now, as new video uh, that was was seen in the hearings has been released to the public, which show in even greater detail uh, that you know this was a violent act, this was you know a deadly uh, occurrence, uh, and you know not as you know a at least one member of Congress has said, uh, just people you know taking a tour through the Capitol just seeing the sights. No, these were people who were peeing and, and leaving you know, poop on the walls of the seat of our government, who broke windows to get in. 
you know, and you know, if you can look at these images and still hold the the idea that you know that this was done by you know Black Lives Matter or Antifa or now the latest conspiracy theory has that the FBI actually set this up. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what to tell you. You're you're seeing something with your eyes. We all watched it in real time on national television, unedited, and yet you still hold the belief that you know. In, in everything from, you know, it didn't happen to it was just some people out on a lark taking a tour of the Capitol building. Uh, and then you have the Democrats who are, you know, going through all of this infighting over legislation and, you know, the, 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 the angst that they are working through with regard to what to do about the filibuster. And, you know, what to do about the the uh, for the people act, H.R. one and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, H.R. four or S.S. one and S. four, respectively. Um, you know, this this wheel spinning going on in our government is something that we the people need to take up with our elected officials. Uh, they clearly are not listening to the majority of the American public. Uh, and, you know, doing whatever, you know, they want to do in a freewheeling basis. And this is something that we are going to have to address with them. And it's something that we're going to be talking about on a regular basis on this show going forward. Um, you know, I, I will be bringing some, some specific uh, reports, some statistics, some data, and some specific suggestions and ideas that I find out there in the public sphere i'm going to bring those to you and we should engage with it so as always you know the email for the show and our, our primary means of engagement is fired up radio at yahoo.com please send email with any comments questions you might have so we're going to continue to have this discussion on an ongoing basis we're going to be looking at the headlines we're going to be diving into the stories all right so uh, just keep that in mind, and uh, we'll we'll take our break right here. And when we come back on the other side, I've got a couple of uh, new stories that have come out uh, that I want to talk to you about as well. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com where radio is reimagined. We're going to pick up where uh, we left off in the first segment. Uh, it seems like, and no surprise here, 
that I get to talk about the state of Georgia once again. Uh, in an article that uh, came out of the New York Times and was covered by Alternet Online, uh, the Georgia GOP has a new voter suppression tactic. And uh, what they're doing now, it looks like, is that they're targeting black elected election officials. So according to the article, uh, Republicans in the state of Georgia, uh, they're making new efforts to contribute to voter suppression activities across the state. Uh, in addition to the laws they've enacted uh, that make it more difficult for people of color to vote, now they are targeting black election officials. According to the New York Times, and this is from the article, Republican lawmakers are laying the foundation to expand their own power over election processes in states across the country. Lawmakers' actions in Georgia are a prime example of what may be seen in many states in the very near future. Uh, per the information that was released, uh, and this is quoted, across Georgia, members of at least 10 county election boards have been removed. They had their position eliminated or are likely to be kicked off through local ordinances or new laws passed by the state legislature. At least five are people of color and most are Democrats, though some are Republicans. They will most likely all be replaced by Republicans. According to local officials, uh, some of the earliest casualties as Republican-led legislatures mount an expansive takeover of election administration in a raft of new voting bills this year. Uh, the reports about Georgia targeting black elec election officials come as similar actions are being taken in other Republican-led states like Arkansas, Kansas, and possibly Arizona. Over the last year, there has been more discussions about Republican lawmakers' efforts to chip away at the United States democracy. Uh, in some states, the article continues, controversial voting laws have already been passed, but what's worse is that some of the bills include provisions that grant election power to politicians, many of whom have biased political agendas. With election power in the hands of partisan politicians, the article cites, it is almost guaranteed that elections will never be free and fair. Politics USA stresses the importance and imperativeness of Democratic lawmakers advancing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the For the People Act before it is too late. Uh, if something is not done in a timely fashion, the state of Georgia may be the first example of what it looks like when lawmakers deeply interfere with access to the democratic process. So, you know, th this article just points to something that, you know, we have talked about uh, quite a few times here on this show, uh, and that is the fact that uh, Republican uh, legislatures in the states have been working across a broad platform of strategies over the years. And, and when I say over the years, I mean going back, you know, 30, 40, maybe as many as 50 years uh, with their Southern strategy in building a Republican power base uh, within the states uh, in order to uh, influence and feed not only Republican elected officials at the national level, but also uh, choices for uh, uh, state, local, and federal uh, justices, as well as candidates ultimately uh, to sit on the Supreme Court should vacancies become available. Here's why that uh, little factoid should be concerning. Um, even though you know, Republicans 
make up about 24-ish percent of the voting population in this country and are outnumbered by Democrat and independent voters by more than two to one. Uh, they have an outsized uh, control of state legislatures, controlling uh, roughly 33, I believe, of the, the 50 state legislatures. Um, and even though they are in the minority in both the Senate and House, uh, they are still not uh, you know, that far out of power where they cannot influence what happens in those two bodies. And when you combine that with the ongoing efforts of voter suppression and things like continued gerrymandering and, you know, all of the tactics that the Republicans have applied over the decades as, as they've executed their, their Southern strategy and now their, their more modern version of, you know, uh, voter uh, disenfranchisement, uh, you see that even though they are not a majority of the American population, they are in fact and in you know in 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 plain fact they control much of the elect American political mechanism, and you know that's something that you know uh, on its face is you know the the cost of living in a democracy. You know whoever has the most votes wins. That's the way it is supposed to work. However, uh, what we're seeing is that we are seeing efforts to, to shift that dividing line you know, through the voter suppression tactics, through the, the gerrymandering, through all of the tactics that are being applied. And now, as we saw, as we see in this article, now they're actually going to target uh, the people in the states that run the elections and and begin to work a process of eliminating those who do not follow a Republican uh, uh, conservative or you know Trumpist uh, agenda. So what that means is that even though they are not necessarily a physical numerical majority of the voting population in this country, they are in fact controlling how the the government responds to issues and they are part and parcel of you know why we say on this show that we find it so frustrating that you know 60 and 70 and 75 percent of the american voters may be in favor of a particular issue but yet the the uh, elected officials pay no attention to the the wants of the voters and you know we have to exercise our franchise. We have to do whatever needs to be done and whatever roadblocks or obstacles or slowdowns or, you know, stoplights they put in the process. We have to work through those in order to bring, you know, balance to our, you know, election system to to bring, you know, uh, a, a more fair representation of the true nature of our population in our elected government. Uh, there is, you know, no problem. I, I don't have a problem with, you know, one side being in control and, and having the votes and, and doing an agenda. However, when that majority party, and, you know, I, I say that clearly, the Democrats clearly uh, are also not paying full attention to what the will of the people uh, are saying and you know when that is not happening 
when elected officials are acting on their own volition or they are acting based on the influence of other players in the game, whether it's lobbyists or big business, you know, dark money and, and so on and so forth, then, you know, that's a danger sign for, you know, democracy in this country. The idea that, you know, a, a party can, through these manipulations, uh, overcome the power of one person, one vote, uh, and, and make it, you know, much less so by disenfranchising voters, by, you know, a, impeding the voting process, by doing all of the things that we've talked about and that we have seen transpire, you know, in states like Georgia and Florida and Arizona and Texas, um, you know, and when we continue to allow those things to happen by not voting out these officials that do not listen to us and voting in new people and, you know, who, you know, who agree with our thinking. And, you know, if they don't measure up, then we vote them out. This idea that, you know, a, a, a senator or a member of the House of Representatives in Washington, or even in some of the state legislatures, should have a political career that spans, you know, 20, 30, you know, and, and, and even 40 years. Um, we have to find a way, find the will, find the energy to, to put an end to that. Whether it's, you know, voting these people out and diligently paying attention and holding accountable the people that we vote in, or whether it is through the pressure of our influence and our communication with our elected officials, uh, make the, the process of setting you know, term limits uh, into a reality. If you know, we, the people, are calling for term limits for senators in Washington and term limits for you know, the U.S. House of Representatives, you know, whether that's you know, uh, three terms in the Senate, which would be 18 years, or, you know, uh, you know, five terms in the House, which would be, you know, 10 years or whatever. Um, and then, you know, that person, you know, has to move on and new blood has to replace that person. All of a sudden, the, the idea of career politician and, you know, working for years and years and years to, to bring in more money, to bring, you know, to, to increase their personal power, which leads to the corruption and the greed and, you know, all of the, the things that make the headlines we see every week. Um, you know, that is where we should be aiming our efforts. And we need to let our politicians know that this is something that the American people are going to work for, work toward, and, you know, either they can get on board with it or we can vote them out and vote in people who are going to be uh, on board with the idea that the, you are not going to Washington to get a job that you can retire from as an elected official. So you know, something to think about there and, uh, you know, just looking at what's going on, you know, in the, the political sphere and what's being done. And let me be truthful here. When I say what's being done, I don't mean what's being done by the elected officials. I mean what's being done to the American people by the elected officials. Uh, it, you know, it is shameful when we have sent people 
to represent us, whether it's local, state, or federal level. And, you know, they have promised that they are going to listen to the voice of the people. And then they get in office and get the taste of all of that power and, and the money and all of the trappings that go with it. And, you know, in, in, in some cases slowly, in other cases more rapidly, they ignore, they fall away from their agreement to listen to their constituents. So, you know, we have to stay vigilant. We have to stay diligent. We have to continue to keep track of their voting records, keep track of their activities, and make sure that we are communicating in mass, in large numbers, with our elected officials to let them know that we are watching, that we are paying attention, and that we are not hesitant about voting them out of office and, you know, and, and damn the consequences because whoever we vote in is someone who also is going to follow our wishes or we will vote them out. They will be a one-term politician. Once that message gets entrenched in the political system, then, you know, in my opinion, we would begin to see some relevant changes happen in how our elected officials carry out their jobs. All right. So, you know, and, you know, the, the, the last story I'm going to cover in this segment kind of touches on that same thing. And, you know, just as much as in, in this show over the past, uh, you know, five, six months or more, we have talked about, you know, Florida and Georgia. Uh, we've also talked a lot about the state of Texas. Um, the state of Texas has been, in many cases, at the forefront of many of the efforts at voter suppression and, you know, disenfranchisement that has been perpetrated on the American people by their elected officials. Now, what is, is happening is the Republican executives in, in you know, the, the governor and the Republican executive office uh, branch of the Texas government has turned its sights on the state legislature. Um, in an article that came uh, out of Texas on the 18th, it reports that uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a new state budget that defunds the entire state legislature. Let me repeat that. Governor Abbott has signed a bill or signed the budget which defunds the state legislature. And the reason that he is doing that, according to the article, um, he made the decision after Democrats staged a walkout in May to prevent restrictive voting legislation from passing. Texas legislator pay is written into the state constitution, so legislative staffers will be most affected. So, you know, not only does this uh, defunding, you know, have an impact on the state legislators, the elected officials, but it is also going to impact the, the staffers that work in the state legislature as well, uh, even though, you know, other than, than doing the legwork in support of their legislator bosses, you know, they don't have a nickel in that fight. They just do what they're told. Um, so, you know, the article goes, and this was in Business Insider, um, Texas Governor Abbott vetoed Article 10 of the state budget on Friday, effectively defunding the entire state legislature after Democrats staged a walkout to prevent restrictive voting laws from passing uh, back in May. Uh, according to Abbott, Texans don't run from a legislative fight and they don't walk away from unfinished business. 
he said in a statement. Funding should not be provided for those who quit their job early, leaving their state with unfinished business and exposing taxpayers to the higher cost for an additional legislative session. I therefore object and disapprove of these appropriations. Uh, state Republicans, you know, in, in, in the backstory, were close to passing Senate Bill 7 in May, which would have cracked down on initiatives that local uh, election officials undertook in 2020 to expand voting options during COVID-19 pandemic, including making it a felony offense for officials to send unsolicited absentee ballot applications to voters, even though those who are eligible to vote absentee uh, in Texas. Harris County officials tried to send absentee ballots or applications to the county's 2.4 million registered voters in 2020, but were blocked in court. Banning election officials from offering drive-through voting, which Harris County did in 2020. The county successfully defended itself against last-minute legal challenges to its drive-through voting system. Limiting counties to a maximum of eight hours of voting between 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. on Sundays during early voting. But while Abbott's aim is to punish Democratic legislatures, the people most affected will likely be legislative staffers. Abbott may have vetoed the piece of the budget with the legislature's overall funding, but Section 24 of the Texas Constitution states that the, quote, members of the legislature shall receive from the public treasury a salary of $600 per month. Uh, the state constitution also dictates that legislators must receive a per diem pay for every day they serve when called for a special session, so they would still likely get paid regardless of the state budget. Uh, stepping out of the article for a, a second here, something to keep in mind. You heard mention of Harris County in the, in the article and in the reference to the actions that Governor Abbott is taking. Keep in mind that Harris County is the county with the highest minority population in the state of Texas. So, you know, his action uh, is going to directly affect, uh, you know, a large portion of the minority and, and, and poor vote in Texas just by virtue of its effect in Harris County. So the article goes on and says, according to one Democratic state rep, uh, that the, the legislators will be all right, but stress that the staffers are going to face the brunt of Abbott's veto. Uh, Texas House Democratic Chair Representative Chris Turner said in a statement that the tyrannical veto of the legislative branch is the latest indication that Governor Greg Abbott is simply out of control. Um, you know, and they talked about the fact that the Democratic caucus is exploring every option, including immediate legal actions to fight back against Greg Abbott's abuse of power. So, you know, it's a recurring theme that we see, um, you know, and, and I've, I've mentioned, you know, as a side note, I've mentioned that I know this show sounds like I pick on the Republicans constantly, but there's a reason why they f they fit in more uh, articles and more reports that come out of this program is because they're doing more of the damage right now. Uh, if this were a democratic issue, uh, trust and believe we would be all over it just as just as vigorously as we are with the Republicans. But right now, 
the Republicans are, are being the heavies in this, and the Republicans are leading the charge uh, in, in suppressing the vote of so many of disenfranchised groups in this country, as well as uh, attacking the, the, the rights and liberties of various groups in this country and ignoring the actions and misactions of uh, so many of people who are you know, in line with the, the right-wing conservative viewpoints uh, like the fact that there are so many uh, right-wing individuals who are uh, downplaying the, the, the role that the insurrection has played in January 6th. The latest conspiracy theory says that the whole thing was staged by the FBI. I mean, it, it's, it's been never-ending since that, that invasion of the Capitol building that uh, everybody and their grandmother is being blamed except for the actual people who were doing that and the actual people who encouraged and spurred them on to do that. Uh, but we've already talked about that in other episodes, so I won't go back into it here. But, you know, that along with, you know, what we see happening in Georgia and what we have seen happen uh, over the course of the months in, in states like Florida and Arizona and Utah and other, you know, Republican-held states and, and even more that are bringing hundreds of restrictive voter uh, laws uh, into play in, in an attempt to suppress the Democratic and independent side of the vote because, again, Republicans are outnumbered at the ballot box at least two to one by Democrat and independent. So if they cannot win on the issues, what they are trying to do is to restrict the size of the playing field so that their votes matter more. The same thing with their approach on gerrymandering. You know, they are drawing districts that ensure that even though there may be a significant number of Democrats within the geographical area uh, that that district is being drawn into, because of the way they draw it, uh, it is going to be a Republican-represented district. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've talked about Florida with districts where Democrats outnumber Republicans 6 to 1, but the uh, elected official representing that district is a Republican. This is what I was talking about earlier when I say that through their tactics, the Republicans have an outsized proportion of power relative to their size in this country. And that is something that uh, we have to work to re restore and regain the balance in our political system. If you're in an area where Republicans, you know, truly outnumber Democrats, that district should be a Republican district. But if you're in the area where that's only so if they very, very precisely and carefully uh, break down the district down to the street level, um, that's not fair. That doesn't truly represent the demographic makeup of that area and, and give that representative, be it Democrat or Republican, a fair shot at fairly representing the people that reside in that district. And that's something that we need to get back to. That's something that would be addressed in you know, both the HR1S1 bills uh, on you know, voter 
uh, reform, as well as the John Lewis Fair Voting Act Bill, uh, H.R. 4, S. 4. So our call to action, as always, contact your uh, elected officials at state level, federal level. Let them know that you, you know, want to see them support this legislation because it is necessary to restore the fair balance of our elect- election process. Um, you know, it, it's, it's okay if Republicans win. It's okay if Democrats win, if everybody has a fair shot. And right now, that's not the case. So we need to do what we need to do in order to make that happen. So that's our, that's our call to action for this week. As always, uh, any thoughts or comments, please send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to reading your comments and, and responding to them. Uh, let's start a dialogue. So that's going to do it for this week. Uh, everybody, please stay safe. If you have the opportunity to get vaccinated, please get vaccinated. Uh, it is the, the best positive way to protect your family, your community, and your country. Uh, let's make sure we get as many people vaccinated as possible, as well as follow all the other guidelines that have come out from our medical and scientific community. Everybody, please have a great week. Uh, this is Steve. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. And I look forward to talking to all of you again in seven days. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.